Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. All right, all right. Jana, you are still with us. Super excited. This is another one of these conversations that you've put together. So I'm super thrilled for this. And uh, how is life treating you? Life is good. I'm just getting the kids back to school and, you know, getting uh, adjusted to a new way of life again. My youngest kid started his senior year today. So he Mm -hmm. went off to start day one of his senior year and it's the last one. So I've got a suitcase already ready and... Uh, but no, but we're excited for him to have a good year too. So it is, it's that time of year. And it uh, is. by the way, I, I know that Brit's kids, I think, go back to school this week. And okay. so I think this coming week, uh, we'll just the three of us have a conversation, try to figure out, because uh, we definitely want to accommodate the things that you want to cover. And mm-hmm. uh, we'll just find a way to, to squeeze all this in, but we're really excited. Awesome. Sounds great. Cool. I'll let you uh, introduce the topic and our guest today, and uh, we'll go from there. All right. Well, I'm really excited to um, introduce my guest today, um, Father Scott Jenkins. I met uh, Scott about six years ago now. Can't believe it. We uh, we met at the Living School. Many people who listen may know what that is because I talk about it a lot. But it's a contemplative um, wisdom school focusing on Christian tradition. And Christian mysticism, Christian uh, contemplative streams of thought, and um, and as I got to know Father Scott, um, I was so drawn to this stream of spirituality that has been a big influence in his life, which is Celtic spirituality. And honestly, Scott is the first person I have ever personally known. I know some names in Celtic spirituality. Uh, but I had never met somebody who um, comes from that stream of thought. And so I wanted to have him on. Um, it made, makes me think of uh, a little bit, I, as I thought about framing this conversation, I thought a little bit about um, the um, about Noah Rochetta and his secular Buddhism, right? And how he starts out his podcast saying, let's explore these things, not to make anyone a Buddhist, but to, um, to help you become a better, whatever you already are. And my sense in having my con- and conversations that I have had with Scott over the years, I sense there's something really deep and beautiful in Celtic spirituality that we all can take from that. So that's, Sweet. that's what we're doing here. Sweet. We'll, uh, we'll bring them on. Here right. is, Here's Scott. Let me grab his name up on the screen so folks can see that. All right. Welcome, Scott. Hi. So great to have you with us. Thank you so much for um, agreeing to come talk to us about this awesome subject. My pleasure. Good to see you. And, you know, I was going to say good to see you in person again, but it 
It would be good to see you in person. It would be really good to see you in person. Hopefully we'll be in the same city again soon. Um, so uh, I, 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 I picked off some things off of your website, off of Celtic Way, to get oh, okay. a little bit about your resume and a little bit about, you know, just in our mm -hmm. discussions where you've come from. But you have a really interesting formation and lots of lots of diverse training. Um, I think people may not understand the difference between pastoral training and uh, spiritual direction and chaplaincy and all of those things, but there definitely mm -hmm. are distinct, um, you know, ways of, ways of being with people in their spirituality. Yeah. But I would love if you could just introduce a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us a little bit about your spiritual formation and how you came to Celtic spirituality. Uh, I'm laughing because as you asked me that question, I think it's um, Paul McCartney's The Long and Winding Road begins playing <laughs> in my mind, you know. It's yeah. just like, and it was a different era when this began. The world was such a different place, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I can say, well, it began in the late 1960s, and I would think you would know what that meant, but you have no idea because you're younger mm -hmm. than I am. <laughs> so, you know, hippies and the, protesting the war, and um, as honest to God, you know, it was like, Sex, drugs, and rock and roll was pretty much my life and working. And um, I was gonna say, you need my three favorite things. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I grew out of them. I grew I grew out of one of them, um, and um, you know, just kind of was. Well, you know, I got in, I got in my share of trouble. Let's just put it that way. And. I had some acquaintances who were concerned about me and um, I had a bunch of people living in my house. I, ha I paid for this house by uh, illegal gains. I guess I'll just say that. And one by one, the guys living in my house, uh, I think the term, the term was they were getting saved, you know, mm. and, it, and it changed them. And, until everybody in the house got saved but me. It was my house. I was like, what the hell's going on here? Well, um, they kept telling me, you know, you need to change your lifestyle. And so I basically told them they need to change location, uh, which they did. And um, I don't know, one night around two or three in the morning, uh, I was up in, in my living room by myself and um, they stopped by and they did the whole witness thing. I'm sure it was a traditional witness where the largest guy literally picked me up by my shirt and slammed me against the wall and told me that if I didn't change my life, my life wasn't going to be around much longer. And he threw at me a uh, paperback, olive green colored living New Testament, and it hit me in the chest. And I still have a little dent right here where that hit me. And Oh, wow. And then they left, and frankly, I was so stoned at the time, I started wondering, <laughs> did this really happen? Mm -hmm. And I looked on the coffee table, and there was the book. And so I, I stayed up all night and read it. And it was Sunday morning now, and I saw people who would park in front of my house really pissed me off, and they were going to church. So I just went to church. And the church was packed, and I kept looking for a place to sit. There wasn't any. So I sat on the floor, and a bunch of people came up and sat on the floor with me, and I gave my life to Christ, whatever that meant at that moment, uh, at that time. And that was the beginning in a very strong, fundamental, evangelical 
place. And I needed that, you know, because <laughs> my life was a little messed up at that time. And mm -hmm. having boundaries and having, you know, black and white and everything was really good. And so uh, I stopped a certain enterprise and I worked at a grocery store and um, I volunteered for the church. And about a year and a half later, the associate pastor would, would meet with me and he would say, Eventually, he would say, I think it's time. You, you probably need to move. There's a certain element in this town that will never let go of you. Mm -hmm. And th it's not headed to a good place. And so uh, we prayed. Jenna, Jenna, you wouldn't believe this. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> he wanted me to sell my house and everything and move to San Diego, California. I was like, what the heck? And... Um, but there were worse places did. to be. Oh, yeah. You know, and so if 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 this was going to happen, you know, you put mm -hmm. a fleece out before the Lord. I'm not sure what that is. And everything aligned and went, and I ended up going to college in San Diego. I mm -hmm. went to a Christian college. Uh, we had two private beaches. That's how I knew God wanted me to be there. <laughs> and the grocery store was right across the so I found a way to pay for it legally. And um, I had a bunch of money with me that I had to give to the bank and, and steps and, and did. And that was the beginning uh, of an mm -hmm. academic life. I was, a, I had a 1.68 grade point average when I was in high school. If that would have been an earned run average as a pitcher, Bill, I would have been in good shape, but it was my grade point average. So I had to really work hard to get in there, learn. And I, I was very successful as an academic uh, because I was finally motivated, you know, to do this. And I, mm -hmm. I learned that the Bible was not always literally true, which was shocking to me. And it really, you know, went through a lot of turmoil. But I met some good friends. They were Lutherans, which was my childhood background. So I thought, well, I'll try that. I did. And I went up to uh, this town in Northern California called Berkeley. And if you've never been to Berkeley, I just want to tell you that it's very different than San Diego. Let me just say that. And there were nine graduate schools there called the in the Graduate Theological Union. And I was very successful in my academic world there. I, I, reluctantly in the beginning, but I became a Lutheran pastor. And um, I think I was pretty successful as a Lutheran pastor. <clears throat> but I had my own set of failures and our daughter had cancer for the first time and mm -hmm. my life spiraled and um, I left the Lutheran church and mm -hmm. didn't go into a church for a while. And then a friend of mine told me about this ecumenical Catholic community up the highway and they said, you ought to check it out. Now, Excuse me, there was a that's not a vacuum because when I was at the GTU in Berkeley, it was the Franciscan school that I was drawn to. Mm. I, I did not like the Lutheran school at all. It was very heady and very boring and I just but I had to to graduate from there. So um but I ran into these ecumenical Catholic people and um I I joined them. That's a whole story I won't go into, but it was a really wonderful story and and uh, my wife, Chris, and I joined the church, and we found a really nice home there for well, a year and a half or two years. I don't remember. Yeah. My wife's saying mm -hmm. she's the keeper, <laughs> the keeper of the truth here. And, um, and so 
in the Lutherans, I really got a lot of heady theology. In ecumenical Catholicism, um, we used to pray the hours every day. We celebrated liturgy. The whole liturgical sacramental thing became really enmeshed in me mm -hmm. in a way that it wasn't in the Lutheran church. And, um, and being radically inclusive community, it was my first time really uh, just welcoming everyone who came. Mm -hmm. And that was not only challenging, but it was enlivening for me. And Chris and I moved to Colorado to take a call. We started our own church here. If you want to try something that's difficult, try starting a church whose name is Ecumenical Catholic <laughs> in a storefront where you have no denominational financing, no support whatsoever, and say, we're going to make a go of this, which we did for 20 years. Wow. And uh, we also helped start a couple other churches, and all these churches are still going today, which is wonderful. Mm. So the whole, there is a wonderful part of Catholicism, right? It's not just yeah. the legal authoritarian. I mean, it can be, it, I mean, think about Francis and Claire. Mm. Think about St. Vincent de Paul. And, and so we were very much a church that celebrated Eucharist. We celebrated being together and socially, and we worked really hard about serving people in need. Those, those were very mm -hmm. important pieces for us. And somewhere during that time, maybe I was like 12 or 15 years into Holy Family, my wife, Chris, had been working at um, the Episcopal Cathedral in Denver, um, St. John's Cathedral, and they had a speaker that night, and and we decided that we should go. Well, I had a really shitty day that day, and when I came home, I was in a foul mood, and honestly, some of the people we were going with to that thing, you know how it is when you're a pastor, you serve everybody, you don't like everybody, you know that's <laughs> And some of these people I didn't like in the weather was it was colder than hell outside and it was snowing. And, and I came home and I said, you know, honey, I think I'm just going to call these people and tell them I don't want to go. I'm tired. Yeah. And she very nicely, very firmly, if you know Chris, she said to me, well, you just got to right now you're going to change two things. One is your clothes and the other is your attitude. <laughs> and they'll be here to pick us up. And we are going. OK, so we went to the cathedral and we got there maybe five minutes before this started, which I hate that. My dad was a Marine Corps Sergeant. If you weren't early, you were late and in trouble. Um, and we ended up having to sit in the front row. And this guy came out to speak. His name was John Philip Newell. I don't know if you've read any of his books. Bill, have you? Or no. Jenna, have you read any? No? I have not read it, but know the name. Okay. And um, so I'm sitting there listening and he's talking and I cannot, I can't keep up with the right. I, I finally stopped writing, started just listening mm -hmm. because at the break, um, there were a bunch of his books back on a table. And that's what I always do. I buy books and I digest them, you know. So I did. And uh, for that year and a half after meeting him, um, it was a struggle. It turned everything that I knew, was familiar with, that I believed. It either called them seriously into question or something inside of me went, that's right. 
Mm. I mean, you know that inside. You know what he's saying is right. Now I just got to find some place that proves it. You know, that's how I was in my, still in my head and all that. Mm. And about, I don't know, we decided uh, that we were going to do a Celtic liturgy on sat one, a Saturday nights once a month. So I went to the board and they said, yeah. And I was ready. I went online to find this ritual and it wasn't there. <laughs> And I was like, oh, crap. There's no, like, liturgy. So I ended up writing my own mm. every month, you know. So that helps. helps you grow. Really got into it, and it was challenging and so life-giving. Mm. And then, you know what, Jenna? For the first time in my life, I could take something that resonated inside of myself and and say yeah no that's right that's mm -hmm. how i really feel mm -hmm. i can remember being a lutheran pastor standing at the door when people were leaving and somebody would stop and say oh i'm not going to be in church next week i'm going to the mountains and that's where i feel really close to god and i thought man, man, man what a bunch of crap that is you know mm -hmm. but um but yeah no that was right i mean i knew that as a kid when you study theology, the theology is what's right and your experience is not right. And so we've just been into that. And John Philip Newell, one time I uh, was volunteering for his stuff. He came up to me and he said, I'm going to speak and you can launch Celtic Way and I'll be the speaker and we'll attract people and whatever money you get, you can use that as seed money. And so that's how our organization began. And um, so that night, because I had already been chaplaining part-time down at Mile High Ministries, it's a transitional housing place, as well as the Justice and Mercy Legal Aid Center that deals with pretty poor people who need help with immigration and other things. Uh, so I decided that part of the crowd I was going to invite would be poor people who are on the streets, and um, which they came, you know, and all my friends from Denver and Aurora came. It was a nice, wonderful evening, and it got us going. Hmm. So that's kind of, that doesn't do justice to all the internal things that happened. Yeah. But it did, it did instill something into me that I was invited to attend uh, a workshop at the Claremont School of Theology when I was in college. And John Cobb was the presenter, and he talked about process theology, and it blew my mind. I mean, I was mm. just like, wow. But what stuck with me was the very deep belief that God is evolving, God is growing, God changes, and God um, is very dynamic. That never left me. I couldn't prove that or anything, you know. It wasn't in the creed. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it really worked for me. And when I was preparing for this podcast, I looked back on my life as from evangelical to Lutheran to Catholic to Celtic, mm. which I have some friends who have been with me through that whole thing, right? Mm. They shake their head. They're like, well, I'm not quite sure what's going on with you, but I like you. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> But I look back and I say, mm -hmm. well, of course, that's how it is. Mm -hmm. That's how God is. Yeah. yeah. 
I've got a uh, a little question here, just because when I first saw the name, I pronounced it Celtic. I, the only thing I know is the Boston Celtic. Yeah, right? so I, no, I'm not familiar with Celtic. Yeah, it, are we talking the same word? And are, are they pronounce? Because I know you guys are pronouncing it right, but are they pronouncing it wrong? Should it be the Boston Celtics? You, you know, no. I, it all depends who you talk to, Bill. Really. Gotcha. You talk to people on the East Coast, and they're like, "What's the matter with you? It's not a K. It's yeah. a C." Yeah. Now, well, C is for cat. You know. Right. <laughs> and and living so long in California, it's pronounced Lakers, Bill, not Celtics. <laughs> you got it. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so it's been quite a ride, and it's been technically yeah. mine. Yeah. And I can own that. Well, I love that. A couple of things that I'm hearing in that uh, that formation is, um, you know, there's this identity formation that's going on throughout your life. And what I'm hearing is that it's, I'm hearing the growth in that. You're saying God grows and, and changes. I hear the growth in you, right? The, the, the evangelical to Lutheran. And to ecumenical, you know, each step of the way, it's feeling bigger and bigger and bigger. It's including more (laughs) and more and more, right? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, there are a couple things I'm curious. I mean, there are many things I could talk to you for days about this, but I'm really curious um, about those transition points. And Mm. I'm really curious about how easy or difficult those were for you. And I'm really curious about what you found moved you forward. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, leaving the evangelical thing. Well, I'm not sure that I've ever left completely any of these. So mm-hmm. in the evangelical stream, I was gifted with a real love and dedication to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Now, they might have almost been the fourth person of the Trinity early on. <laughs> Uh, a fourth person of the quadernity, whatever it is. But um, but that has stayed with me ever since. So I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. When I went to college and even more so in graduate school and you learn all the critical methods and all the historical stuff, the fundamentalism goes away. That's hard. Because when things are in black and white and are authoritarian, then that's what you do, right? Yeah. And when somebody says there's another way to read this or taking the Bible seriously was a book that I read uh, probably in one day uh, when I was in college and I was not a fast reader. I couldn't put it down because it was so, it it seemed so right, but it was not a fundamentalist approach to the Bible. We're taking history and culture and uh, language very seriously made sense to me finally. And so I, I kept that. Um, and learning in the Lutheran church about the history of the church, you know, um, Protestants, I don't know about most, in the the evangelical church, you know, there were Jesus and the apostles and then Billy Graham, you know, I didn't know what happened in between. And in the Lutheran church, there was Jesus and the apostles and Martin Luther. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And the Reformation. And then on we went and they were wrong and we were right. And mm-hmm. that's a drag, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, <laughs> I can't even tell you what that's like. But yeah, um, I think, you know, 
if we really want to have transformation, we ha we have to be transformed first as individuals. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to be transformed, I think it's true that we have to we have to allow for like the incompleteness of our truth and the complexity of what it means to be a human being. And it's so that encapsules what St. Paul said, I, I see through a glass dimly, okay? Mm -hmm. I don't see it clearly. And that's freeing. When I went to the GTU and I could take classes in the Episcopal, Dominican, Franciscan, you know, uh, all these different, you get all these different insights and you begin to realize I'm a little bit myopic here in my tradition. Mm -hmm. That's not yeah. good. Yeah, Scott, I mean, if I can just say that, that's, that was my experience of the living school, right? Like I come oh. from Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm raised in the Mormon church. I start having my own kind of questions and pulls beyond the black and white. But yet, as I'm wrestling with that, I feel like I'm in, I, I like to just, I don't know, it's, it's like I'm in this Mormon bubble fighting it out. It's true. It's not true. It's true. It's not true. It's, yeah. you know, and and going to the living school kind of blew all that open for me. And it's exactly what you're describing. I noticed for the first time in my life how small this stream is in the stream of humanity. Yeah. I have and that to so many of us are doing the same thing in all of our different traditions. Yes. Right? No, I think there's a lot of that going on now. Yeah. Um, and I have to tell you, Jenna, and I'll mm -hmm. say this to you too, Bill. When I first met Jenna at the living school and she... I don't know if you introduced yourself as a Latter-day Saint or a Mormon. I'm not sure. A Mormon. It, at the time, it was still kosher to call myself a Mormon. And okay. Did. And I thought to myself, <laughs> you know, and I love you, Jenna. You know that. But I thought, what the hell is she doing here? <laughs> Why are you here? And I thought, well, she won't. She's not going to be here very long, you know, because this is going to blow her mind. But then I got to know Jenna, and I thought, no, I think Jenna's going to blow my mind. And it's like, I didn't know Mormons were like this, but there you are. So. I, I keep trying to tell Scott I'm not your average Mormon, but, you know, no, don't take there's... me as representative of the, of the movement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't go walking into a, a group of, of Mormons and hoping that you're going to get them all to be that way. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no, I no. don't think it's going to happen that way at all. No. It would have to be a special collection, I think. Yeah. The fringies. But so tell me, I'm, I'm just, just for my own curiosity, when you say it's an ecumenical Catholic church, how is it? It, it sounds like there's no uh, formal connection to Catholicism. You're not getting the funding. You're not like part of that stream. Mm. How does that work? And what part of this is Catholicism if it's ecumenical? And, yeah. and why are why are the Catholics okay with you using that name if you're not part of them? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I have so many questions about this. You do. Yeah. No, they, um, they don't recognize us. Okay. They don't appreciate us. They don't like us. <laughs> when I first moved to Aurora, and here we had this little bitty church. You know, honest to God, maybe at the time we had like 12 or 20 people. And I get this call um, from the Roman Catholic Diocese. And they're like, we want you to come to the diocesan office. And, you know, uh, we need to talk to you. And I'm like, hmm, I don't have that need. Mm. So, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and they were offended. What do you mean? You're not, you're, well, I'm not part of you. You're not part of me. We don't like each other. So what part don't you understand? 
So we met at a coffee shop. These two priests all dressed up, you know, you know, we're official. We're the real Roman Catholics. Good for you. You know, I kept thinking if you were the real Roman Catholics, you wouldn't be such assholes and so narrow-minded and exclusionary when it comes to the Lord's Supper. But, you know, and they said, well, the one thing we want is that you would never come across to people and deceive them. I said, I don't understand what you're talking about. And they said, we don't want you coming across as your Roman Catholic. I laughed out loud. I was like, hell no, I don't want anybody to think that's who I am. Are you kidding me? So, yeah, we didn't have a problem after that because I wasn't about to do that. Um, hmm. But then, you know, they would go and talk about us. They'd say, your sacraments aren't real and you're not real. And I, well, the babies we baptized were real babies and the people who died, uh, we did real funerals and hmm. We do real weddings for people and crisis counseling. And when we feed the hungry, those are very real hungry, needy people. Um, so, oh, it just strikes me the the parallels to my to my own experience. Right? Yeah, this human need to have it be the way, the authority, the you know, the thing in our in our different groupings and how deeply that is truly felt by people who are in that stream, you know, oh, yeah, no, no, there's this real human need, this, you know, and when you step outside, it's always so, uh, I don't know, baffling at that point to look back and say, how can we be so small? I, it was at the living school that I learned that Catholic even actually means universal. Yeah. Oh, the irony. Oh, <laughs> right? and that's why I kept thinking, to be Catholic, you have to be ecumenical. Mm. You mm. cannot be this narrow grouping. You know, right. we, unlike the Mormon church, we don't claim to have like books that fell down from the sky and, and these glasses and stuff. But, <laughs> but, you know, the Roman church has a magisterium and they'll tell you how to interpret. Right. Only they can. And, and that's when I'm like, okay. No, no, no. So, you know, when we would do Bible studies at Holy Family, people were just almost in shock. It'd be like, mm. what are you asking my opinion about what does this mean? Yeah. How does it engage you? How does it impact you? Well, usually the father tells us, oh, well, yeah, here we go. Mm, which is just offloading, right? We're offloading our spirituality, yeah. our authority to somebody else. And and what happens in us over time, right? Oh. When when we're doing that, when we aren't asked the question and when we're not asking ourselves and when we can't disagree. Right. When you're in a deconstruction mode, so, you know, as a Lutheran or whatever, I had constructed this theology and I knew it really well. When I came into the Catholic thing, I got to hear the other side of the story, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but still could frame things, right? Yeah. When you move from whatever your constructed place is yeah. to, to this no person's land, you know, in the war we used to call it no man's land, right? Um, <clears throat> that's a hard time because the anxieties and the pitfalls of life and, and the and the hard things, I mean, I understand completely today when you look at the world and everything that's taking place, why people 
go to a place that says we have the answers. Hmm. We have a place of security. You are safe in, in the hands of God here. And yeah. I get it. Totally. I get it. I left a drug culture to go into a black and white evangelical fundamentalist world because it provided some guidance and structure for me. You know? Absolutely. Which is so helpful at a certain yeah. part of our lives. We all need that. We all need to feel that safety and being held by that. Right. Yeah. Mormonism seemed like the perfect thing when I was 17 years old. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. Bill is a convert. So from where what? I was born and raised. From a blue collar family that had no religiosity yeah, at there all. There you go. I get that. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So tell me, Scott, I'm really curious. Um, as you went to hear John Philip Newell speak, and this overturned your life. I'm really curious about what was it? And so everyone knows John Philip Newell was speaking from this space of Celtic spirituality, correct? Yeah, he's, okay. he's quite an authority. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So what was it that caught you, that that invited you into something <clears throat> deeper, that your soul was just saying, oh, yeah? Right. Well, let's see. He talked about his own lived experience as, as a young person and how he felt and, and how he, what witnessed to him when he would be in nature. Mm. Now I had to, cause I grew up in Iowa and as he was talking, I was thinking about the times that, you know, we'd be out in the country or I'd be walking through a cornfield or we'd be at a lake. And I thought, because my, my uh, family of origin, our home, was anything but safe. It was not peaceful. Uh, but when I was out there, I, I felt at peace. I felt secure. Or when I went to my grandmother's house uh, and she would read the Bible to me and she would pray. And... But John was convinced <clears throat> in a very genuine way that there are two books of Revelation given to us on the Christian journey. Not saying that everybody has a right to this, right? Because the very first, well, we call it a book, the first revel revelatory place is creation, hmm. right? I mean, even in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, talks about we, we don't have an excuse. It's right here in front of us. And what does it show? It shows diversity. It shows provision, right? It shows evolution. It shows the change of seasons and the progress and the provision. And if we're, if we're wise enough, we can look at the change of seasons almost as a mirror reflecting of our lives. Yeah. We have a springtime, summer. We have an autumn. And if you're fortunate enough to live as long as, as me, you'll have a winter and you'll appreciate the depths of that as well. And so nature was, you know, that was a thing. Well, here I am sitting there and I'm thinking about my Augustinian influence. Oh, no, no, no. Nature can only tell you so much. No, no, don't be deceived, you know. But inside of me, I'm like, damn, it's really good to see this person say this out loud and, and like testify to it is amazing. 
And then the next person that he talked about, of course, I learned as the church's first great heretic, and that was Pelagius. And Pelagius confronted Augustine, you know. Mm. Augustine, uh, I think, is one of the most brilliant people in the history of Christianity. But when it comes to anthropology and his take on original sin, that's just, that's just, I think he's dealing with his own past as a young man, his drinking, his sexual exploits, the, what he would call the desires of the flesh, how it consumed him. Listen, I was a young man, I get it. And, um, <clears throat> but Pelagius said, you know, I don't think that's how sin is. I, I really don't. He kind of said, not kind of, he said that sin's like righteousness, you know? It's like, well, if you have a family, so you have a dad and a couple kids and a wife, and the dad has some bad behaviors, it's witnessing those behaviors that becomes, now I'm the kid, I see that, I pick that up. And, you know, it spreads that way into the village, and the village spreads into the region, and the region spreads into the, you, you understand, it's transmitted by behavior, mm -hmm. by choice. And so is righteousness. You mm -hmm. know, a temptation comes along and the dad says, son, daughter, don't do this. And here's why, mm -hmm. you know. And so righteousness can be transmitted the same way. Well, Augustine's like, oh, no, no, that's wrong. <laughs> that's wrong. And eventually, Augustine tried so many times, he finally, with all his political clout uh, in the West, he was, you know, he was named a heretic. In the mm -hmm. Eastern Church, they're like, no, we don't, think, we, don't, we don't see any heresy here. And Augustine, we really love you, but you're weird when it comes to this whole thing. That's no. So I'm, I'm listening to this, you know, and I'm like, Man, I mean, the confession is, uh, we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed, what we have done and by what we have left undone. See what kind of mark that leaves? Mm -hmm. I still remember that, you know. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um, Pelagius, to me, it seemed to put the responsibility of my righteousness and my sinfulness on me. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, and we're all adults, and I can say this to you, that original sin would be transmitted through the act of making love. Mm -hmm. Seemed really, really, I mean, what kind of a God does this? You know, yeah. that doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like nature as a revelation equal with the Bible. There's no original sin. Oh my gosh, what's next, you know? Well, you know, what's next? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I've uh, as I've thought about Augustine, as I've learned more about Augustine, I've cursed his name many, many, many times that he had such a lasting, um, I don't know, effect on Christian thought that no. lasts until this day. And my guess is that there would always be an Augustine if it weren't Augustine, right? There's, it, but I, I think it, it shows you what happens when I think there's a fair amount of guilt and self-loathing how that when you when that gets framed into religion mm -hmm. and i think it always does there's always going to be someone in the line learning your tradition learning whatever that is going to have enough that is self-loathing that then uh 
you know, and, and, and it has that black and white thinking to the point that it, it just makes everything so narrow. And then that transmits just the way you say righteousness can transmit the guilt transmits the shame. Oh, transmits, it does. Right? <coughs> yep. And the very thing that we're looking to for healing, for community, for wellness, this little piece starts to transmit that then turns people off of religion altogether. Like if this is what this is doing to me, why would I be part of this? Right. And when I'm a person leaving and I, and I'm having all of those feelings, I look at the other people and think, well, it must be doing that to them too. Well, maybe to yeah. some degree or not, who right. knows, but it, it maybe that's just the way it works for you and you are perfectly well. And that's hard. It is hard to look across any kind of the, these divides and to imagine that someone else is well doing it a way that we're not doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So I'm hearing in that there's this, this deep tie to nature and I just feel that. I mean, I, I think, I don't know how many times I thought over the course of my life that I'll see something on some nature show or I'll experience something or I'll notice something about nature and just think that is just like my life. And, and sometimes I forget that I'm, you know, I believe in evolution. We're part of this, this world that evolved by whatever means. And I am, I've, I've grown up completely separated from this thing that is nature. And yet I'm so deeply part of it. That just seems to speak to me. Well, good. I mean, that's so good, <laughs> but no, really. And it's timely mm -hmm. because I, I'm going to tell you, I keep, I keep thinking about this. I hope I don't offend anybody. When the me too movement came along, mm -hmm. I mean, all of us, men, women, everybody's like, Oh my God, we need this. Somebody mm -hmm. needs to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And, and that's true. And I'm for it and all of it's right. Mm -hmm. But there was a woman who got left out of this movement. Mm. Mother Nature. Mm. You see, we use her, right? Uh, we see her as she's here for my wants and my needs. And I really don't care about her than anything but that. And unless we can get back to a place where we truly see and believe that the presence of God is within the natural world. Okay. I'm not saying it's the same as being within people. Maybe it is, you know, but somehow the presence, the creative power of God that brought forth nature is still there sustaining keeping it alive, keeping every, the universe, everything's going, right? And unless we can see the sacredness of our environment, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I'm really not sure we're going to, as long as we can objectify her, and mm -hmm. and there's a word I'm not using, which is, um, you know, we just can't keep on. This path is... We've got to be in this together. Somebody said to me when I did a presentation at a church, oh, but we were given, uh, what was the word in the King James? We were giving dominion hmm. over yeah. nature. Yeah. Well, you were, you know, you dummy. But did you ever stop to think of the dominion being the king or the queen meant to be a benevolent king? 
one that looked out for your subjects, that took, you might actually care for your subjects more than you do for yourself. Mm. That's hard. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. It's just that there's this recognition that human beings somehow got off the food chain. Yeah. We we stepped (laughs) away from the normal process that all the other animals participate in. Right. We, yep. we eat anything that's edible. We live in every geographic location. And so as you're pointing out, maybe having dominion meant you're the one species that could F it all up. And, <laughs> and hence, you ought to be as responsible and as caring about this planet as possible. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it does to me 100%. too. Yeah, 100%. We, we separated ourselves from this. I listened to a podcast not long ago that talked about this being the original... Uh, human wound yeah. is that we separated ourselves from nature. Yeah, I I really believe that's true. I think that yeah. Celtic uh, spirituality is calling us all mm. all back to this to to say uh, maybe the way forward is the way back. I think we're the only species on this planet that's figured out we can just overpopulate this planet, and it'd be fine. Mm. And yeah. it's not, yep. you know, um, yep. yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So, so there's this nature aspect, which makes me think I, I have very limited understanding of Celtic spirituality. I'll be honest, but th- something that comes up for me is I always tie it. So first of all, British Isles, I, I have some idea that it, they grew up in the British Isles. Um, I have some connection in my brain to, to pagan something or other, you know, (laughs) and I don't even know the words for it, but when I think of Celtic Mm -hmm. spirituality, I think of, of people, you know, living with nature and having more of these grounded religious spirit, you know, holidays and things that were marking uh, periods of time that, that then Christianity also kind of came in and, and co-opted in some ways, like, you know, Easter maybe had something to do with spring and rites, and then we made it about Jesus's whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> but so I think of the, Cel- the Celtic spirituality having these deep roots in this, and so I'm really curious how how All paganism right. meets we, Christianity we... and how, right. how the Celtic spirituality holds on to this kind of of sensibility of all of this without this organization. Like I'm so confused about what this is. Oh, good. So then we're on the, you're on step one. Step one is confusion. (laughs) So, um, all right. Very, I think, you know, I referred to my own family of origin, my woundedness uh, I carried with me through all these transitions. Mm -hmm. And I think different parts of my woundedness have been met by each step along the way. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to understand that the Celtic Christian movement uh, is pretty old. It's in your Bible. When you read Paul's letter to the Galatians somewhere in the 50s, all right? Galatia was a region that about 150 years before Paul got there, and which is in Turkey, by the way. And um, those people that lived there were Celts. The Romans could not vanquish them. And so, like any good Roman movement, whether it's church or government, they bought them a bunch of land and said, stop fighting with us. This land is yours. 
All you have to do is stop fighting us. <laughs> okay. This is the region that Paul went to okay. and founded a church and wrote this letter. And it's very mm -hmm. interesting when you listen to, to what he says. In Christ, there's neither free nor slave. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither male nor female. All these aspects are reflected in Celtic culture. Because in Celtic culture, women were not second-rate anything. They were warriors. They were hunters. Uh, they, some of them were chiefs of tribes. Uh, and, and so if you want to look at the first scriptural reference to Celtic tradition, it comes from about 20 years after Jesus died, you know. Uh, and, and we're not sure where the Celtic people came from. Their empire is like, could be, if they would have been a centralized government, they would have been one of the largest empires in the world. Mm -hmm. But they weren't. They were uh, tribal confederations. And so uh, when, they, when they spread, they eventually spread up to what today is the UK. They, you know, went across the Rhine all the way to the Western Europe down into parts of Spain and Portugal. They spread to the east, down in Turkey, northern Italy, uh, up into Germania. They were all over the place. Hmm. Um, and so when you think about the history of Christianity as still a unrecognized religion until 300-something AD, right? So somewhere in the first century when uh, the Roman soldiers uh, were in, in Britannia, um, a lot of their slaves and the people they brought with them were Christians. Maybe that's how Christianity got there. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the 300s and, and leading up to that, I would say even in the 200s, when Christianity was becoming close to being recognized and most of the Christian Christianities in the cities and the cities were becoming very immoral, right? A lot of people fled to the deserts of Palestine, Syria, Egypt. They lived in caves or, or strict monastic communities. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what ignited some of those people, but they took a long trek to the coast, caught a ship, and settled in Great Britain. Mm -hmm. And they formed monastic communities, not churches. Mm -hmm. They worshiped in the groves, mm -hmm. right? Because the trees would grow up and over and provide a canopy, they were very much into silence and contemplation. Okay. They read the scriptures together and sought, you know, an interpretation out of them. Mm -hmm. They very much taught people who were neighboring Celtic pagans how to sow and how to do all these things. And, and the pagans would hear them singing in the chapel. And they'd say, what are you singing? And they would maybe have a manuscript or something of the Psalms. And you see, Celtic pagan people were not allowed to write. They couldn't read. Only the Druids could read. Well, when, when the pagans began to visit, like the chapel services and so on, and somebody would bring out the book, and read the stories. Celtic people love stories about heroes and heroines and battles and all, you know, and here were all these stories. 
And what they found out is that these pagans were going off in, you know, to a remote place, and because they had been taught how to write, they would begin to write stories and poems and songs and come back to the monastery and share them with people. And so what I want to say to you, because you and I come from religions that we either have it right and you're wrong, <laughs> that's not how the monastic movement started. Hmm. They, it was like a marriage between Celtic pagans and these Christians now who were living in Britannia, right? Hmm. Hmm. And so in some of the monasteries they developed, they would have an abbess, a woman, as the leader. <gasps> And they would have men and women living in the same monastery. What the hell? You know what? That could happen. Oh, look out. And, you know, it just was, it was incredible. And, and so we had the combining of cultures, the combining of spiritualities. And I, I know I don't have time to go through this with you, but if you, if we could. Look at the development of the Christian liturgical year, the calendar. That's a circle. Yeah. Right? And so then what you can plainly see is that the Christian calendar is overlaid on the Celtic calendar. Hmm. Both of their of the year begins at the darkest time. Yeah. Because Jews and Celts, right? The day began at sundown, not sunup. Right. So the year begins at night. And springtime is when everything is coming back to life. There's only one place if you're a Christian, you can put Easter on that calendar. And <laughs> yeah. that's in the springtime, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And then, of course, the great Pentecost, right? Fire, falling, mm -hmm. transforming, boom. Yeah, yeah, and that has to happen at the Celtic Feast of Beltane, May 1st mm -hmm. or May Paul. Mm -hmm. Mm. There we are. And so they, they begin to intermingle. And then Lamas, that happens in August 1st, the first harvest. Mm. And you look at all the Christian feasts that go on in the fall. Oh, yeah. Well, I wonder why. And then, and this is most interesting to me. All Saints originally was in August. But you see, to compete with the Celts, October 31st was Samhain the beginning of the year. And so the church very cleverly moved All Saints to November 1st. Mm. Because on October 31st, Celtic people were leaving out little snacks and little trinkets because that was the time of year when the veil between the living and the dead was very thin. Mm. And if you didn't want these ghosts and stuff coming into your house, you had to leave something on the porch. Right for them to take. And so the church is like, well, we're going to celebrate all saints on this time of year too, and all souls. It's like, oh. So there's the whole give and take here. Mm. And um, yeah. there's, there's just so much history. It's like as you're talking, there's just so much history I, that I, it just strikes me how how clueless I am about all of the traditions that were handed to me, all of the holidays that were handed to me, oh, everything yeah. that I see in the world. Like it, we wake up as human beings. We, we, you know, we were born, we grow up and it's just the water we are swimming in. And we don't even know that decisions that were made and people that came together all this time ago combined to affect my life 
in a way of what I do with my children on October 31st. It's really yeah. wild to me. Yeah. So, so how does, tell me this, how, because it's obvious <laughs> where this pagan sensibility and this Celtic sensibility comes together. And then we see how that has played out in our Western um, Christian world. And then also how that has leaked into just all of our world. Right. But how does Celtic spirituality survive without it being a church like the Catholic church? Like how does, okay. how does that sensibility survive? How does it come to John Philip Newell? Mm -hmm. You know, so I heard you talk about poems and things that are written. Is, is that how this is transmitted? Well, how does this work? Well, it works because it's meeting some of the most basic human needs that we mm. have. Mm. If you're around pagan uh, people, whether they're Celtic or otherwise, mm. uh, one of the things I appreciate about them is they have a deep respect. Remember Richard Rohr's definition of respect. You look twice, you see deeply, right? And so um, they have a deep respect for nature. They have a deep respect for everybody. They mm -hmm. don't get lost in transgender, bi, gay, straight, that people are people. Um, and that came into Celtic Christianity. Uh, mm -hmm. Hospitality was a hallmark for Celtic Christians. Um, and during the wintertime when people were traveling through and, and had to find food and warmth, Celtic Christians were known. People would go out of their way to be in their presence in the wintertime because they need to be safe and secure. So how is it going? It's there is a community that I visit. I visited three times in the last twelve years in Northern England called the North Umbria community, and I would, you know, encourage you to look at their website. Um, there are places like that. There's the community of Aden and Hilda, on. Um, <clears throat> oh, excuse me, uh, on this little island. Uh, the holy island of Lindisfarne off the coast of, of England. Uh, there are little groups like our little Celtic Way group here mm -hmm. in Colorado. We have a new teacher who lives in Ohio. Um, our classes on Zoom are three and a half years old, and they go from one coast to the next. People are mm -hmm. interested, and they stay, and this has like, become real community for them. We meet in a place once a month for Eucharist and prayer. Another time in the month we eat, we meet for evening prayer and, and Lexio. Janet, the word just kind of gets out. And there's so mm. many books published on this now that churches are looking for anything good to help them survive. And so I don't know how many Methodist churches I've been invited to speak at. I just got invited again to go back to this Methodist church because they recognize the value of ecology, of radical inclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's just kind of this underground water that is getting into the soil of all these different kinds. Lutheran churches today are embracing Celtic Christianity, which just blows my mind, you know. But desperate times call for desperate measures, you know? Mm, yeah, because we are in this time, right, of exodus, great exodus from organized yeah. religion. You know, we people are not finding what they're needing there no. anymore. I mean, you and I had a conversation about young people, and you, you told me the things that the young people show up for. And no. what did you tell me? 
I thought it was so fascinating. Oh, I don't know if I can remember, but I can tell you the quote I just heard again is yeah. that the church has a really good way of keeping the, the truth outside and dealing with things that really aren't. But you tell me, what did I tell you? What? You told me they show up for the nature walks. Yeah, they do. They show up for social justice movements. They, they do. They show up to serve one another. <laughs> yep. They show up, and you, you, you are the one, Celtic Way, I'm mm -hmm. assuming, is the one that says, hey, we're going to organize this. We're going to yeah. go for a nature walk, show up a Tuesday at four, yeah. and we're going to do this, right? So the Heartlight Center, where we where we meet at, and they do the best ministry I've ever been around for people who are grieving. It's mm -hmm. what it's their world. And so one of the directors said to me, I think we need to do a nature walk for people who are grieving, and Celtic Way and Heartlight Center can do this together. And I said, mm -hmm. yeah, we, we're mm -hmm. going to. So we're already planning, mm. you know, along the way, because the Celtic message about the Anamkara, the soul friend, mm -hmm. has been reflected in this whole development of Celtic way. I could not have gone through this transitions, none of them, without my wife. Mm. You know, mm. and I was just telling her today, we've just our youngest granddaughter just is off to college to Colorado Springs. And it's a wonderful thing. And it's so heartbreaking to see her go, you know. And that took me back to when I went from Iowa to California. We just lost Bill. We lost Bill. He'll um, be back, hopefully. Okay. <laughs> um, mm. And what a rock she has been for me, a stabilizing influence. Mm -hmm. And then um, I had somebody who was um, a chairperson at our church council. Was, Terry Thompson was one of the people who came to me and said, we should start this Celtic thing. Mm. It's in it's in your blood, and she could see the people, and Chris was was always there encouraging me. You know, you start with nothing, mm. and you move forward. Yeah. And yeah. Okay, so I have two two questions that I just want to explore. Two two little things that I so we've got we've got nature. I've heard different things from you in describing this Celtic spirituality, but you know, if we can just kind of name some of the sensibilities that you have learned from this, this, um, thought, you know, and I don't even know what to call Celtic Christianity, right? Like it's actually, it sounds like it's actually a group in Britain and oh, they have these communities. There's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's they're just kind of all over. Yeah. They really and are. it's kind of word of mouth and someone experiences it and says, hey, I want to start kind of this this group where I am and explore let's get some a of book this. and start reading it together okay. and, and let's okay. pray together. Okay. So and, and there's there's not like, okay, we're gonna have um some hierarchical structure of who is leading us, or it's it sounds kind of just organic. Is you know, when you go online, you can see the Celtic Church in America. <clears throat> they okay. have bishops, deacons, priests. Okay. And to be fair, um, it didn't take Celtic Christianity very long. I mean, they had them too. Not right away. Okay. okay. But, you know, Christianity only had one model. You know, I, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever looked at, but the Roman Catholic Church hierarchy is the same as the mafia. They have the same one. <laughs> it's very efficient, right? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah. At Celtic Way, we talk about a circle of equals when we're together in class, when okay. we're coming together to pray. Um, they 
people recognize if you're educated, informed in a certain level, you know? Um, so I do share the speaking role when we have our breaking bread, but most of the time it's me because people know me and trust me, but we have some people who are coming up who've gone to school um, because that's what you do. You hand the baton on, you don't keep it for yourself. I, mm. So the circle of equals thing is very important to me. Mm. Every single person has access to the divine. Every single person can hear the word of the Lord. Every single person can respond in faith. That That's so, so important. Um, so, yeah, we have an organization. We have a podcast. We just celebrated our 10,000th download. Um, we have quite an email distribution. Um, and, and people are doing stuff with it out there. That's fine. Nobody says, can we do this? Hell no. I can give you a, a list of books that I trust these authors. I recommend one to you for a good starting place. Mm. It's called Celtic Christianity. Okay. Deep Roots for a Modern Faith. Okay. We can put that in our show notes. And it's by Ray Simpson. Okay. All right. So... Race has started a community over there called okay. the Community of Aiden and Hilda, and he's been doing it for quite mm -hmm. a long time. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we have we have um, these groups that do have some sort of formation and some oh, yeah. hierarchies and deacons and whatever. So some do. yeah, some do. Okay, that that is not a necessity to be working in this kind of Celtic no, spirituality. No, it sounds people. like it's, it's very accessible. Anyone can pick it up. No one's going to come after you. No, <laughs> they're not going to call you in like the, the Roman Catholics. They wouldn't <laughs> say, come what after are you, doing? you because they'd be so confused about who you are. We are followers of Jesus who are very much influenced by nature mm. and equality. Mm. Uh, and so, yeah. So I've heard this. I've heard, I've heard um, equality in this. I've heard ecumenism. What's the word? Ecumenism. <laughs> ecumenism. Yeah. Yeah. In that, I I've heard um, I've I've heard that women were, you know, there was equality among the genders oh, yeah. in, the, in the roots of this. Is that still something that is? Oh yeah. Very held much so. as mm -hmm, as very important. important. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I can see how this is turning your 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 world upside down. <laughs> <laughs> as, yeah, as a good term. Yeah, and very rooted in nature and very rooted in our place in it. Very much. Is there, yeah. is there anything else I've I've missed as as main Well, I'm looking at the time so I'm hesitant to yeah. bring this whole thing up but how we deal with Jesus, you know, is very uh -huh. important and okay. um you know, uh atonement theories, the old ones, I'm not quite sure they work for us. Okay. For some, for some Celtic groups, very much so. But I think for Celtic way, mm -hmm. um, do we believe that Jesus is the d divine Son who came to teach us how to love and live? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And why was he killed? Well, because he came to teach us how to love and live, and it didn't fit in with Rome or a small number of, of very powerful Jewish leaders of the day. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and. Um, Celtic Christianity has always embraced a very loving and accepting God, always. Mm -hmm. 
you know. And I won't get into this whole thing about universalism and, and stuff, but we don't spend a lot of time talking about who's in and out of heaven. Mm. That's not our deal. Mm. Our deal and, and how it was for Celtic Christianity from the very beginning was to be formed into the image of God's son. That's the deal. So, yeah, you know, the, the spiritual battle is mostly with ourselves. Okay. So if you're a person who, let's say that you've been um, really turned off by literal stories of all of this and literal mm -hmm. stories of, of Jesus and, and this is who it is, you know, this is how you have to do this. How, would that person feel comfortable um, in visiting a community of Celtic Christians? Is there, do we have to believe in Jesus? Do we have to believe in certain things? Well, you know, do you have to believe in Jesus? Would you come to a Celtic Christian place if you didn't believe in Jesus? I don't know. Yeah. Um, we believe in Jesus, and that's our, our choice. And that's our heritage. It's our calling. That's who we believe is the one we follow, right? Mm -hmm. We don't beat people up if they don't. Mm -hmm. In fact, we have a guy who comes every single month. He never takes communion, and he doesn't believe in God. Um, but his wife does, so he brings her, and he's we're he and I are tight, you know. And he, what Jesus once said, so if the only people you love are the people who love you, what, what good is that? <laughs> you know, I think, yeah, we've got to love everybody, <laughs> honestly, Jan. I think really God does really love and favor everybody, yeah. Yeah. So if you're a Buddhist or if you're, a, you know, Jewish or, or Mormon, I don't worry about where your eternal soul is going. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. we're all going to end up in the same place and go, oh, geez, what the hell was I thinking? Yeah. You yeah. know, Janet's a Mormon. I'll probably never get to know her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, ask, yeah, Bill. Well, yeah, I just, at the very beginning of the conversation, you mm -hmm. said something about having to deconstruct the at least some of the literalness of all of this. Mm -hmm. And when, and I, I play in the sandbox with tons of people who have deconstructed. And it seems as though on the front end of that, people only deconstruct as much as either science or rational thinking imposes on them that they deconstruct and they don't want to go any further than they have to. Right. And I'm just curious what deconstruction in terms of literal belief versus like, like what you kept and what you did, not that we have time for a long list of what you kept or didn't, but rather how did you in your mind formulate decisions about what to keep and what not to? Yeah. <clears throat> so what we need it's an hour meeting after dinner, <laughs> glass of Jameson and a pint of Guinness. I like that. <laughs> yeah, we could do that. And um, <clears throat> because when Celtic Way service is over, we drink and eat together for a couple hours probably because um, that's important. Mm. Um, <clears throat> the first thing I would say is that it's easy when it comes to the scripture to see 
that there are different forms of literature in it, in itself in the Bible. There are songs called the Psalms, or there's the Song of Solomon. And if you're not into metaphor, I would think the Song of Solomon's rather dreary, you know. But if you're into metaphor, then you get in bed with your wife and read it, right? Mm -hmm. And and then there's didactic material. There are miracle stories. There are conflict stories between Jesus and whoever. Um, there are parables. So the different types of literature are there. And the first thing is to raise the question, we really can't say to each other that we have to interpret all these different types of literatures exactly through the same hermeneutical lens, right? That doesn't make sense. I do not read math the same way I, I read Emerson, right? Definitely. And I, I'm not gonna read physics the same way I'm gonna read Elizabeth Brown. You know, it, you just have to, to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that the Celtic people really benefited from is, uh, is this whole idea of Anamkara, the soul friend. Mm -hmm. To do this journey alone is hazardous. St. Bridget would say, a person without a soul friend is like a body without a head. You know, it's because it's easier for us to deceive and to lie to ourselves than it is anybody else, you know. And um, when you read the scripture together with another person, I've had the same soul friend for 27 years. Mm. And that has not always been easy. I have a wife who speaks truth to me, who puts up with my anxieties and, and all my brokenness and who has made me a better person. We really need each other. And when we sit down to read a book, that is minimally... 2,300 years old, minimally, if not five, 6,000 years old. And we stop for a moment and think like every other damn thing in our society that it should be convenient and instantaneous. Oh, I read this. I should understand it. all of it, the background, the etymology, the cultural context. Oh, no. Then, and, and I, this is a bad rant for me, Bill. But people who are in the middle of their deconstruction and walk away from their faith, this is not going to get a lot of popularity. I think a lot of them are just lazy. Mm. People do not put time and energy into researching their own religious tradition. Mm. Now, and a lot of my friends, they've deconstructed and they're cool about that. And mm. we don't have anything to do with the Bible anymore because mm. it's old and it doesn't make any sense. And I just... Mm. Y'all are lazy. So it's so interesting, Scott, that you say that, because I believe that that is true for, for that tradition. And this is actually, you've stumbled on it as probably a sore point for a lot of people who leave Mormonism specifically, because we are accused of being lazy. But it, it's, it's coming from a different place than you are, mm. because we actually, there. I mean, I found Bill as a podcaster because I needed to know more about it. Um, and it actually, I became the, and the people I work with who are leaving Mormonism are the most informed, least lazy learners that I have mm -hmm. ever met because yeah. they are just trying to grasp because it's been so insular because it's been so, this is all right or all wrong. 
the whole epistemology of your entire life starts to fall apart. It does. So, yes. And so <laughs> people scary. just go really deep into mm-hmm. learning all of it. Right. And I will also say this. I think it's also trauma. Like people have been traumatized. Part of it. Yes. And Catholic, and, and I Mormon, Baptist, yes. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I even mean it in like series of little T traumas of not being able to be yourself. Yeah. And told you're wrong and being cut off from your soul. Right. Yeah. So um, I think that the people I work with, I don't see a lot of laziness in our tradition. I see a lot of trauma and I see a lot of people who don't want to be duped again. Yeah. I don't mean that everybody who's deconstructing is lazy, Yeah, but I I do. I get a little tired Mm -hmm. when people say, Oh, the Bible just doesn't make any sense. Sure. How how much time have you, have you put into it? They don't even want to hear that question. Sure. You know, well, I, I, well, I, yeah. And and here's the other thing, science. I love science. I subscribe to NASA and I love to see all this stuff. It just blows my mind. But science, talk about evolution. Thank God, you know, that science is evolving and growing and changing. You know, there was a time that science said the earth was flat, right? Or there was a time when science said that the earth was the center of of the universe, you know? So can we just be a little humble about our scientific propositions that we know are eternal truths. Right. Okay. You know, because we can't, the attitude toward that, what I'm hearing can be similar to what people do in church. This is, this is my safe place. This is someone is telling me the way things are. And I think none of us want to face that, that uh, possibility that we are just vulnerable, that we are living in a world that is difficult. Yeah. And whether it, you can approach either one with the same kind of attitude of, well, now I've found my place and I don't have to worry or question. I, I, I do hear that. Right? 100%. <coughs> so one of the things I'm hearing you say, though, that I think is really important, Scott, is that we can't use the same tools that we use for everything. To your point, I'm not going to read. I'm not going to read my scientific, you know, journals the same way I'm going to read a David White poem. Right. Right. And and I think that's something we miss a little bit in religion, especially when we are raised to believe that it is like it's scientific. Right. We're putting it on the same level of truth and and we don't recognize that religion is really meant to speak a different language to our souls. Oh yeah. No, I'm right with you on that. Totally believe that. Yeah. I hear that. I hear what you're saying that it's a different set of tools that I bring to these different parts of being human and understanding who I am. Yeah. Yeah. In all my, go ahead. It'll sound like I'm pushing back. No, no. But I just want to say there are a million things in this world that people are saying, trust me, believe this thing. (laughs) And once you've deconstructed one and you were so convinced it was true only to find out it actually was absurd Mm -hmm. that it was true. Then there comes a degree of when you put, when you invest yourself in investigating something else, 
you don't want to be duped again and so whatever it is it it at least has to make some degree of rational sense does that make does that make sense and and not that not that celtic christianity doesn't every every person's going to decide what does or what doesn't and for some people it may seem absurd to them and it may be an act of integrity to not believe it rather than sort of trust that maybe it's true in spite of their rational sense does that make sense it sure does and it, it helps me because i don't know how many how many different churches that i'm looking at my wife i don't know how many churches we've done presentations at and i'm very aware that some people walk out of there going no no that's okay god's pretty big you know so um Somebody may look at me and go, man, I, I hope you make it to heaven. Okay, I get it. It's all right. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, we have yeah. to be humble in our approach. Um, I'll never forget the very first beatitude <laughs> is uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I had a... Uh... I had a friend last night. He he struggles with anxiety and depression to the point where yesterday he was highly suicidal. Oh. And he called me up and he was just sharing his thoughts with me. And he says, Bill, I just feel I, th I feel like part of the problem is that I have a bad taste in my mouth about religion. But something inside me says that there's some home for me in religion. And I can't and I can't do anything with that. And he, I think he was expecting me to say, like, well, don't don't go that direction. And instead, <laughs> I said, man, what I would do if I were you is I would take some online quizzes to kind of get a feel for what feels internally true to you uh -huh. and see what religions match up with that. And yeah. then go go read about those four or five, six of them and see if one of them feels like home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think people there is mystery in the universe. And if we just want the scientific answer on everything, as you're pointing out, we are missing something if we do it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we had that talk. We, we, last week we did an episode on mysticism mm. and we talked a little bit about this. Right. And one of the things I, I talked about was a, the pre-trans fallacy where it's something that's pre-rational that we may try to just figure out what it means like a rainbow and the rational, we have the rational, the, the rational way of knowing exactly what a rainbow is. And then a tra transrational experience with a rainbow that invites right. us into the depth of, of a deeper reality, right? right? I think this happens as we're looking at religions as well after we've deconstructed, right? There is a vast difference between where you started in an evangelical Christian, black and white, this is the way the Bible is perfectly literally true. Mm -hmm. And where I came from in Mormonism, we are the one and only true church, the only authority that, that you know, there's a vast a difference between those movements and what you are talking about and what you are doing at Celtic Way. Yes. There's a vast difference between what I've experienced there and what I learned at the Living School and what I saw people from all these different traditions doing. And I, and I just want to point that out because some people look at what you're doing and think it's just another one of these. Mm-hmm. 
um, where I feel like secular Buddhism, a lot of people, they, that they like that idea of that podcast of secular Buddhism of you don't have to join us because it, it lets their nervous system calm down and say, Oh, you're not trying to, you're not trying to make me into one of you. You're right. not, I'm not going to be pulled into a cult. I'm not going to be pulled into some mm -hmm. other thing. Right. And yet we need community. Have to have it. We have to have it. Have if you're going it. to deepen, you cannot deepen just by yourself. No. To your point of the Anamkara, I love that idea in the Celtic spirituality. Mm -hmm. Does it have to look exactly the way that maybe it's hitting somebody's here of what Anamkara is? But it's representative of this this um, stream of I, I need people to go with me. Oh right? yeah. And and we can't really have groups unless they have something in common that we're using, you know, whether it's a liturgy or a group of books and poems or something we're just going to decide to read together. You know, my mm -hmm. book club doesn't have to be about religion, but we've got something that brings us together that we're investigating. I've been in a book club for 21 years. I think it's quite unusual. That I've yeah. got a book club that's lasted that long. But we've, it's to that point, we've got to have something that we're doing. And if it's going to be around spirituality, we're going to have ideas. And I, one of the things that I love that I'm pulling out of this, the threads of this conversation, right? One thing you said is we, we talked early on about giving your authority away versus being asked, what does this mean to you? Mm -hmm. Tell me your interpretation. I really feel like there's something in that kind of a spirituality <clears throat> that helps you not be duped again, because it's not about affirming what somebody else is saying. That's not that what that would not be the point. Yeah. So we do a lot of practice, spiritual practice. And Bill, Jenna, you tell me if you're familiar. Lexio Divina. Of course I am, because we yeah. talked about that at the living so, school. Is that a, for something you're familiar with, Bill? No. So you take a small passage of scripture, the group of three to five people. You read it once. You say, what word shimmers, stands out, word or phrase? That's that's what you hold. You read it again. You ask yourself the question, where is this engaging in my life? Mm -hmm. And the third time you read it again, and then you, you, you create some prayers that are personal prayers around that. You pray in the group. And then afterwards, you all can discuss what it meant to you, what you got out of it, so on and so forth. <clears throat> we also do this thing called Visio Divina. Bill, so Catholics and Celtic people have icons. Do you know what icons are? Oh, shoot. Sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I know what like the icons on my desktop computer are. Uh, no, these are the original icons. <laughs> so these are icons. Okay. So they're objects that... Well, they're that's a Mother Mary and Jesus and some angels. Yeah. Not, not the Los Angeles angels, but just... Angels. A representation of... Yeah. Of so figures or whatever you can do icons you can do uh paintings i have paintings photographs mm -hmm. my wife takes photographs um you sit with a small group of people and you meditate on these and then you mm -hmm. share your meditation experience and then there's this thing called natura everything's latin in catholic world natura divina you do a nature walk and so what we've learned to do is we take a picture on our phone 
and we bring it back to a group and we might put it up on the big screen and we'll use that for meditation and we do things like this that involve a very deeply personal and subjective experience between the individual and the spirit that's found in nature or found in the text or found in a picture. Uh, and we discuss it and pray over it as a community. Mm. Um, so, is, so is that, so I, you said the word subjective, you're sharing your subjective experience. You're not there to affirm the objective, whatever someone has decided is the way. Am I hearing that? Mm -hmm. Like you're using these objects to invoke your subjective spirituality that then you're sharing. Right. Now, that's all done within a context of a very, very large tradition. Mm -hmm. Because the, yeah, the yeah. Celtic Christians never saw them outside of Christianity. They did not like Rome mm -hmm. telling them that they could no longer worship in the groves because they had to worship in a sacred space, <laughs> which a sacred space for Rome meant that the bishop came and pronounced sacred. And the Celts, they didn't understand. They'd be like, uh, is there something more sacred than what God has made? Um, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. or they would say women cannot be the head of an abbey that women cannot be priests, women cannot um, read the gospel on Sunday morning, and the Celtic people are like, you know, when we are attacked, women are standing next to us fighting off the people who are attacking us. Mm -hmm. They bear our children in great pain and suffering. They hunt. Mm -hmm. um, don't tell us that they can't. Right. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really inspiring to me. Like I'm very inspired by a movement that has been able, despite all of the patriarchy and the hierarchy that has been pervasive in all of our Western Christianity. Um, it, it's really inspiring to me that there are groups of people who have managed to recognize this. The, I, the, the Quakers inspire me in, in similar ways, right? They, yeah they have a deep connection to nature and, and social justice and a lot of these same streams that yeah. are coming from your tradition. Now I have to tell you that mm -hmm. it's an hour and 30 minutes and I'm yep. freaking out about the time. Yes. Let's mm -hmm. wrap up. Okay. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, Scott, I'm just so grateful that you were willing to come here and talk through all of this with us because you know, coming from our tradition, it, we're we're new at this, and we're and we're isolated. And I think I find such great, um, uh, I don't know, inspiration and and new ideas about how to go about things when I talk to people who have really been on a journey like you have. And I just I. I cherish our friendship, and I cherish knowing you because you've had such a wide um, experience throughout your life in so many different ways. But what I what I so admire in all of it is this deep stream of um, of love. Of I want to know more. I want to deepen. I want to be in places that help me deepen. I want to help other people deepen, and that is just so inspiring to me. And you're always open, you're willing to learn and take on these new traditions and find the ones that that speak to you and that help you be well. 
So it's just an honor to know you and so grateful oh, that you came to talk class. to us about all of this. And Bill, I really would like to have more conversations with you if you ever want. Yeah, only if you bring that Jameson, my friend. I'm happy to. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's the cost of getting in the door. I'm bringing oh, it. I love it. Yeah, sounds really. I good. would love to be at that dinner. I, I would love to get you two together. <laughs> where Where is home at? Aurora, Colorado. Okay, so just a little hop, skip, and a jump from Southern Utah, but yeah. but a little ways. But if I'm ever in Colorado, maybe I'll uh, reach out and. Oh, not me. Not maybe. Not me. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've been in Colorado. I think Denver Airport twice as a as a layover, but. Otherwise, haven't really had a chance to see Colorado. So, oh, oh I, I drove through it. I drove through Colorado when uh, we moved to Southern Utah eight years ago, yeah. and it was the most beautiful part of the drive. Yeah, absolutely. All right. right, we can get you out here, Scott. Yeah, let's do that. Either way, I'll buy the Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. You know, it'd be great if we had an information meeting if you had a group of people who wanted to learn. I can't tell you how many houses I've been in to introduce this to people. So absolutely, well, I would I would love to set something like that up. That'd be cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, awesome. Appreciate your time, awesome. my friend, and I appreciate yeah. your perspective and all the uh, energy and awareness that you've spent putting into to knowing these things in this field that you know I don't have any clue about and really appreciated getting some familiarity with. Mm. And and for people who my my biggest touchstone with Celtic spirituality is besides knowing Scott is um, John O'Donohue. That's a name that people may know. Um, John O'Donohue. He passed away just a few years ago, not mm -hmm. too long ago. Um, but he he has a beautiful way of speaking about this stream of spirituality that is really inviting. Um, really, really accessible for people, deconstructed people, anybody, really, anybody. anyone can really, um, so start with, you know, the On Being podcast is one of my favorites. It's one of the most beautiful interviews I've ever heard between Kristen uh -huh. Tippett and John O'Donohue. So that might be a place for people to, to get some curiosity. And John also has some books and some, um, things that he's done through sounds true there he has an anamkara um that's probably a book and also a series mm -hmm. so anyway that's just if people are are kind of stirred in curiosity about this this way of, of being in spirituality that really deeply connects us to the earth and to ourselves and to i think in a very no-nonsense way our spirituality um that might be a place to start i'll just offer yeah. that there's a lot of places to begin mm. Yeah. And John, John Philip Newell would be another one to check out those books. Yeah. yeah. And then check out Celtic Way, everybody. Uh, Scott's doing wonderful work and um, with his podcast and, and with the work that they're doing there in Denver. So check that yeah. out as well. And we'll, it will include, you know, uh, references to your stuff as well as the book you recommended, Celtic Christianity by Ray Simpson. And then I also will include the John O'Donohue uh Krista Tippett uh, uh, on being podcast as well. Great. Sweet. I love it. Thank you, my friend. Yeah. Thanks, thank Jenna, you. Great to meet you. Talk soon, Jenna. All right. We'll talk soon. Scott. Have a great day, everybody. You too. Bye. Bye. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, 
email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman. 